Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14, where the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. This week, this sermon right now, last week we said that one, one thing we were going to do is we were going to uh, answer and respond and interact with some questions that people had throughout the week during the readings. And uh, feel free, by the way, if you're reading and you're like, what's that all about? Or I'd like to hear a little bit more about this. Because uh, Pastor Carl said, you know, we want this to be some sort of a, a big corporate Bible study, something that we're all doing together. So let's interact together, right? So groups at impactlondon.ca, that's where you can send your questions or, or anything that you see that you want to talk about. But one of the first ones, uh, one of the things that was, that was brought up this week that we, as promised, we're going to talk about is, uh, is this. Uh, some, some people were asking about Lot, the story of Lot's wife. What's the deal with her getting turned into a pillar of salt? Right? It's kind of weird. Uh, God tells Lot, get out, of the, get out of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's going to be killed, or it's going to get wiped out, and uh, just get out of here. So they're on their way out, but Lot's, Lot's I did this last night, too. Lot's wife, Lot's wife looked back as she was following behind him, and she turned into a pillar of salt. So the question is, what, what is that all about? Because, I mean, we read the Bible, and you read these stories, and, and what you're trying to do sometimes is, is figure out, what does this mean for me? What's the application here for me? Otherwise, it's just a, a fantastic story, right? So, so what does this mean? What's going on? And the first thing I'd say is to this question or any other question that you come across in the Bible, and you're trying to ask, you know, what's God like here? What's God saying? The first thing you have to be absolutely and utterly convinced about is this. Whatever you believe God to be like, he has to look like Jesus, he absolutely does. See, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 to 3, we, we communicate this verse quite a bit, but it says that in times past, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets. But now in these last days, he's spoken to us through his own son. And his own son, the Bible says, is the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. So in other words, in times past, God spoke through somebody. He, he had a proxy. He had somebody stand in his place and speak. But then Jesus comes on the scene and God's like, I want to make everything perfectly clear. I'm going to show up myself and I'm going to show you what I'm really like. So Jesus, God, he is the full and the exact representation of God. So when we have these questions, we have to apply that, that filter. And Jesus himself applied this filter when he was uh, talking to his disciples. And the disciples are like, Jesus, all this stuff you're doing, it's great. It's, it's fantastic. It's wonderful. But show us what God's like. Show us what the Father's really like. So Philip says, Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus says, you know what? Have I not been with you so long, Philip? Do, have you not get it yet? Have you not seen that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? So Jesus kind of did this for the disciples. He's like, you know what? All, all the pictures and all the things that you have about God, reorganize them and refilter them through what you're seeing of me. Because if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So knowing that then, we're, we're asking the question, what happens if I look back? What happens if me as a Christian, I'm walking with Jesus and something from my past catches my attention? What happens if I feel like my commitment level is, is less than it was before, you know? I've heard those kind of ugly sermons before. It's not pretty. Don't look back. Keep your commitment solid on Jesus, eyes on Jesus, or God's going to get you, turn you into a pillar of salt. Well, Jesus actually spoke a little bit about what happens when you look back. 
He said in Luke chapter 9, verse 62, Jesus said, no one puts, who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now you read that and you're like, uh-oh. I struggled with something from my past, uh-oh. Uh-oh, I, I don't know if my commitment's right. I don't know if I'm going full on with Jesus. What's going on? I'm not fit. Oh, no. Well, that word fit, it doesn't mean you're going to get the boot. It doesn't mean you're going to get kicked out. And it doesn't mean you're going to get turned into a pillar of salt. Or at least you will, but in a way that you, you might not think. You'll see, Joey. You'll see. So that word fit is euthetos. It means well-placed or ready for use. So in other words, if you put your hand to the purpose of God and you start going with God and you start engaging his purpose, and the, but you're constantly looking back, it's really, really hard to be useful, right? So think about salt. Think about what salt was in, the, in Bible days. You know, we, we buy some food, we get some meat, we put it in the freezer, we put it in the fridge. Back in the day, they'd rub everything with salt. Salt was a preservative. So Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth because you have this preserving influence on life and culture. So, so salt's a preservative. So in a sense, what, what, what Jesus is actually saying, you know, if you put your hand to the plow, you start out in your relationship with Jesus. You start out into the purposes of God, but you're constantly looking back. God's not going to kill you. But what is going to happen is in a very real way, like, like Lot's wife, if you keep looking back, you can't move forward. You're going you're gonna to become stationary. You're going to become like a pillar. You're not moving. And the thing is, is you're going to, by constantly looking back at that thing that God's called you out of, you're going to be preserving its influence in your life. That thing's already dead. It's already dealt with. But if you keep looking at it, you're keeping it alive in your life. So are you really going to turn into a pillar of salt? No, but kind of. You're going to be stuck, right? So don't, don't do that. Don't look back. <laughs> it's all good. But I don't think any of us need to fear for our lives in that respect. All right? Question number two was about Sodom and Gomorrah. Does God actually bring judgment on cities through things like mass destruction and natural disasters? Good question, right? Wow, that's crazy. Uh, if it is, I want to make sure I'm living in the right city. You city dwellers are in trouble. I live with the Amish. I got a godly neighborhood. All right, so what, what is Jesus' attitude towards the destruction of cities? Well, he weeps over it. He's not happy about that kind of stuff. You know, you can hear all this stuff online or on TV or, or all this kind of publications and stuff that God's mad at city so-and-so and country so-and-so, and that's why there's this storm and that storm and all sorts of stuff. But listen, listen to Jesus in Luke chapter 19, verse 41 to 44. And the title of this little section of scripture is amazing. Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. And it says, when he drew near to the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they're hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you, surround you, hem you in on every side, tear you down to the ground, and your children within you. Bad news. They won't leave one stone upon another in you because you didn't know the time of your visitation. So Jesus, in other words, he, he's, he's seeing that some, some devastation is going to come. And instead of being like, ha, I told you so, uh, you guys are going to get what you deserve. He's like, man, I would that you would have known what would have preserved you. 
In other words, what that would have been in that case was they would have embraced him as the savior. They would have embraced him as the redeemer. And that would have had a very real political influence on that, on that group of people because they would have stopped provoking the Romans through military endeavor. They would have said, wow, my savior didn't come to deliver me from the Romans. He came to deliver me from the devil. They would have recognized that. They would have stopped provoking them and they wouldn't have uh, been destroyed because actually it was the Romans that did destroy the city. It was them in, in AD 70. They destroyed the city. And just a, a brief little shout out to Job. But in Job chapter 1, verse 16, we know the story. Satan comes to God and says, I want to kill these people. Satan comes and says, I want to kill Job. I want to mess with his life. I want to kill the people in his life. I want to destroy all of his livestock. So God says, Satan did this. But then it says, fire of God fell. I'm just, I'm just saying, though, that it looks like God did it, but we know that Satan is the provocateur in this story, right? So sometimes, I'm just saying. But the real question here, when we're asking questions like, what about Sodom and Gomorrah? Does God judge cities? Does God do all this kind of stuff? Is, is this. My, my question is this. Where did sin get judged? At the cross? Or let's say Hurricane Katrina? Cross, Right? Sin was all judged at the cross. And Jesus even said it, so I know it's true. John chapter 12, verse 31, he says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Now, in other words, I'm about to go to the cross. That's the judgment. There's something evil about legal systems. There's something evil about uh, the, the possibility that you could be tried and convicted and punished twice. So we don't have to be afraid of the judgment seat of Christ. We don't have to be afraid of the judgment of God. We don't have to be afraid of those kind of things because it would be unjust for you to be punished when Jesus took it all in your place, right? That would be bizarre. That would be unjust. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world is cast out. So why does he still run amok? Because I don't think we've embraced this yet. Collectively, all of us, we're still running around saying God's doing stuff when it's really the devil. Your sin's been judged. It's gone. It's done. Praise Jesus. Wow. Question number three. Now, this is more of a, an observation that was really common that a lot of people had. Uh, and, and there's a question that, that arises out of it. And it goes something like this. I never saw that before. So one of the questions in, in group was, uh, you know, how do you see the Trinity in the story that we talked about last week where uh, Abraham sends his servant Eliezer to go find a bride for his, his son? And, and of course, we, it, it's pretty clear. Pastor Carl brought it out very clear. And of course, after he did, everybody was like, wow, yeah, I can see that. That's fantastic. You've got the Father in Abraham. You've got the Holy Spirit in Eliezer, who, whose name actually means divine helper. It's pretty crazy. So he goes and he gets a bride for Isaac. Jesus, right? So, so after, after it's explained, and you read it through that lens, you're like, oh my goodness, yeah, there it is. Wow, but, but at first, a lot of people were like, never saw that before. So, so the question is, why not, right? And, and I think the answer is really just, just really simple. It's just we haven't looked for it. We haven't looked for it. And that's not a, a, a value judgment statement or anything like that. It's just a, it's a new way of reading the Bible, which is actually kind of really an old way. Because Jesus, when he was describing the scriptures in John chapter 5, he said, you know, these scriptures, those are the things that point to me. So when Jesus takes the guys on the road to Emmaus, and he takes them through Genesis all the way through Malachi, 
uh, which is what he did. He actually read the same Bible that you've got, which is pretty cool. Jesus read the same. He did what we did. He took those guys on a journey like we are. He read the same things that we're reading. But he, he takes them on this journey, and he says, hey, this is actually all about me. And, uh, and, and he gives them this new way of reading the scriptures, which for us, we should embrace. If Jesus did it, we should too, right? All right, so today we're going to look at a, a character in the Bible, Joseph, and we're going to do a little case study almost in what it, what it looks like to see Jesus in the Old Testament and in a character in the Old Testament. But uh, I did want to give an honorable mention to a few other things that are, is really good stuff, like this verse right here, Genesis chapter 38, verse 7. But Ur was a wicked man in the Lord's sight, so he took his life, dead. It's kind of this funny picture of God just kind of, eh, you're evil, dead. I don't know, it's a little bit arbitrary, and it's a little bit like, what is going on, right? Because, of course, we know our God. He looked down at us, and he, he pursued us, and he saved us, right? So you're kind of scratching your head, like, what's going on there? And then you've got other things that in the Bible, are you've got the sin of Onan, which, uh, you know what, we're not going to get into that, but um, we've got the story of Judah getting tricked by his daughter-in-law into believing that she's a prostitute. He sleeps with her, gets her pregnant, finds out that she's acted like a prostitute, finds out that she got pregnant, and then he's like, burn her. Bring her out. Kill her. <laughs> My bad. Sorry. Actually, that was me, everybody. Sorry about that. Like, that's some pretty messed up stuff, right? There's some pretty real stuff in the Bible. There's some pretty confusing stuff in the Bible. And then to make it even weirder, he ends up saying, you know what? She's actually been more righteous than I have because I promised her my son and I didn't give her. So you got to be careful when you read the Bible, like about Job. Like you could open the Bible there and you could read something of, of Job's friends and be like, yeah, good advice. That's awesome. And then you read a couple more pages and it's like, oh, scratch that out of my journal. That was bad advice. God actually said, don't do that. So, so we want to be biblical, but you got to, you know, be careful what's biblical, right? Because what's biblical in this story, sleeping with your in-law, actually gets you kicked out of the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. When Paul's like, hey, there's evil going on here. There's somebody sleeping with their mother-in-law. Kick them out. Don't even talk to them. They claim to be a brother. Don't even eat with them. But in Genesis, it's, it's righteous. It's kind of bizarre. So we got to, did you ever see that show about like that one year living biblically where this person tries to live, really follow all the rules in the Bible? And it's just funny. Funny. What does it mean to live biblically? Well, when you can see Jesus at the heart of the story, then it's a different answer, right? It really is. So... The, the, actually, you know what, in the, in the insert that you've got in your bulletin, and for one of the questions that we're going to ask in group this week is, is just because this is another honorable mention to question number four that didn't make it up there, but a lot of people are surprised, and they're like, wow, I had this really good picture of Abraham, but he actually turned out to be a bit of a scoundrel. What about Isaac? What about Jacob? What about all the, the, the conniving and the sneakery and all that kind of stuff that's going on? Well, Pastor Carl says this all the time. I always hear him say, you know, God draws straight lines with crooked sticks. See, even that, that unrighteous situation where there's the uh, uh, Tamar uh, gets pregnant by her father-in-law, one of those kids becomes part of the genealogy of Jesus, right? You read in Matthew, you read in Luke, and you see some of the characters that are involved there, some of their shady behavior. And you're like, oh man, they should be disqualified, but God used them. 
and not only to like, you know, do, do a nice kind act, but to bring the savior of the world into the planet. That's pretty crazy stuff. So we can't write people off. Can't write people off in the Bible, can't write people off in your lives, and don't write yourself off if you're feeling a little bit crooked. God can make a straight line out of your life. Praise God. And he can make you good too. So anyways, there's some good stuff there, but one of the things we want to talk about today with Joseph is, is this. Uh, there, there's this theme in Joseph's life about destiny or about, about going from, let's say, the, the prison to the palace, right? You follow his life, and it's this, this awesome rise of, of somebody who's, 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 who's abandoned, who's, who's persecuted, who's, who's hated, who's rejected, who's just kind of thrown away. And then he ends up in this most ridiculously exalted position. And uh, so, so it's actually the story of, of, of this, this rise of God's goodness and faithfulness following and pursuing Joseph and bringing him into the fullness of destiny. And, and, and the Joseph story is actually really, really good for this. But uh, there's a lot of principles. There's a lot of things you can learn and draw out of Joseph's life that just make you say, wow, if God did it for Joseph, he can do it for me. That's fantastic. So there's a lot of good stuff there. But, but one thing I want to just draw your attention to real quick is, is a couple weeks ago, the sermon that Pastor Carl uh, preached as the introduction to this whole sermon about the, the road to Emmaus. So we've got these two guys, they've seen Jesus crucified, and they're just like, what's going on? Everything that we thought that we were getting into is now gone. It's done. And, and you can see them walking away from this place that's the city of God, the place of destiny. They're walking away, and they're going to this place called a warm bath. They've given up. They're just done, right? So whether they're discouraged, despondent, or they've just said, I'm fed up, I don't see a future here, they're leaving, and they've almost given up on the hope of God's plans and purposes for their lives coming to pass. Now, Jesus' response to this is to actually chase them down. His relentless love finds them. He walks this road with them, and then in order to reinstate them and bring them back to a place of destiny and to bring them back into God's purpose and plan for their lives, what does he do? He reveals himself. He, he, he takes the scriptures and he shows himself to them. See, the, the revelation of Jesus brings alignment into your life. And that's a really, really, really important thing to grasp when we're reading the story of Joseph because you can look at his life and you can read his life and instead of seeing Jesus, what you see is uh, principles. You can look at it and see, this is this, okay, if I do this, Joseph did that. So if I do this too, then God's going to do this in my life. And then if I follow the template of Joseph's life, God's going to take me from the prison to the palace too. And there's some good inspiration there, and that's certainly a good way to read it. But if you read it only that way, you're not going to see Jesus. That's, that's one of the things that we're talking about. How come I never saw that before? Because I wasn't looking. So we want to we see Jesus. And, and, and the thing that God does is when, when, when he wants to build his purpose in your life, and this is so important, oh my goodness, he says to Peter, you know, what, who are people saying that I am? And he says, uh, well, you're the Christ, you're the Son of the Living God. Who, who do you say that I am? And he, he gives that good confession. He says, you're the Christ, you're the Son of the Living God. And, and Jesus says to him, you know what, you're Peter. You're, you're a rock. His name Petrus, little rock. You're a little rock. But on the big rock, on the massive stone of the revelation of who I am, I'm going to build my church. And that's how God builds us. That's how he builds our lives. That's how he builds all of us together. We're being built into a spiritual house, a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And the things that God's doing in our lives and the way that he's building his purpose in us is through the progressive revelation of Jesus in us and through us and to us. So we have to look for him in the scriptures. We don't want to just look at these people and say, oh, what a good example. 
You know, or, or you know, that, that's really inspirational. Or maybe if I do what he did, I'm going to get there. No, God's purpose, God, the movement from glory to glory, we're told by Paul, is when the veil comes off and you see the glory with an unveiled face, you see the glory of God, Jesus Christ, the one who is the exact representation of who he is. So it's the revealing of Jesus to us and in us that moves us in our life and moves us towards our destiny. So really, really important. Really, really you see, religion and, and, and reading the Bible in such a way so as to glean these, these life principles for, for success or, or whatever, that, you know, having a vision in your life and, and laboring and striving to get there, I dare say that that can be just as uh, exhausting as religion, right? You can read the Bible and say, okay, this is, this is my book that's going to take me into success, Right? And you can, you can get laws and principles and stuff out of it. But instead of, you know, getting laws and principles to get you into heaven, you've just kind of swapped the terms and you've swapped the goal. And now you're using it as, as a book toward, to the fulfilling of your own vision and destiny. And that can be exhausting. It really, really can. And oftentimes that's where the story of Joseph starts. Right? He had a vision. He really did. But the difference with him is he, he followed and he responded in relationship with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, all the way through his life. And, and so, so it's almost erroneous to look at his life and try and wrestle those kind of systems out of it. See, God, God does have a plan, and he does have a purpose. He does have a vision for our lives. He does have a preferred future for us. He really, really does. And it might look like Joseph's journey. You know, we might go through some stuff. You might start out with a really awesome vision for life and then find yourself at the bottom of a well. Maybe not for real, but just feeling like you've been hemmed in, trapped, and, and abandoned by the people that you know are supposed to care about you and help you get there. You might feel that way. You, that might be, you might be able to say, wow, I can identify with him there, and I can identify him with, with him here. But honestly, the good thing about Joseph's life, and the thing that we have to understand, is that his life, it's, it's not primarily first and foremost, meant to teach us lessons about life and make us a better person. See, that's kind, of more, that's kind of this thing called moralism. So when you read the Bible, when you read about these characters, we, we really, I was saying this a few different times, but you got to see Jesus. Now, I think Joseph, because his life is so eventful, it's so full of these amazing stories and just the, this awesome rise from, from, from the well to... Uh, basically second in command to everything, um, his life so full of these, these examples of God's goodness and faithfulness and, and, and success that uh, it's, it's a great way to look. But Hebrews 11, he gets a mention by the writer of Hebrews the, and the Holy Spirit, the inspired writer of Hebrews. He, uh, he, he's looking back and he's writing something. He's saying, you know what? It's all about faith in God, and here's some people from the past whose faith in God has made a real significant difference. And, and he actually mentions, he or she, probably he mentions Joseph. Joseph's mentioned as a hero of the faith. So I thought it would be really interesting to look through Joseph's life and just think, well, don't cheat, by the way. Don't look at Hebrews 11. Wait, I'm, I'm, hoping, I'm hoping to take us all on this big journey here. So Joseph's mentioned in Hebrews 11. He's mentioned as a hero of the faith. So the question is, why? Why did the Holy Spirit mention him as a hero of the faith? And what big, great thing in his life? For which of these things is Holy Spirit singling him out and saying, there's, there's a good example? Right? So, so let's ask that question. First of all, first thing we know about Joseph, he's deeply loved by his father. So Genesis 37 uh, 
the Technicolor dream coat, right? That's how we know Joseph generally. That's how culture knows him. That's our introduction to Joseph in Sunday school. It makes for good drawing. But there's a lot of good pictures there about Jesus, too, and, and about us. And, and he's favored. He's loved. Uh, the, the Father just loves Joseph more than anyone else. And you see this picture. And for me, I think about the baptism of Jesus, where the voice comes and said, This is my beloved son. In him I'm well pleased. Hopefully you felt that today in worship. Hopefully you felt today the love of God breaking in on you and just seeing and feeling the smile of God clothed in the love and the grace and the goodness of God. There's a rainbow in Revelation, which is pretty cool, and I think of his his coat. It's the glory of God covering and just filling you. It's pretty awesome. So there's the story of the dream coat. But you know what? That's not mentioned in Hebrews. That's not why he's a hero of the faith. We heard about how he had a vision, how he perhaps immaturely shared his vision. He was full of just vinegar. He was ready to go. He's like, yes, I've got this great plan. I'm going to get there. And, and he tells his brothers. And his brothers, they throw him in the well. They abandon him. They reject him. Because of his brother's jealousy and hatred, he's thrown away. There's a type of Jesus. He's sold into slavery. Uh, he's pronounced to his father dead. And he didn't do anything wrong. No fault of his own. There's another type of Jesus pronounced dead. And they take the robe with blood to the father. That's Another type of Jesus there too, right? But it's not this. In all of this, in all of the story of Joseph, in all of his unjust persecution and all this stuff, the stuff he suffers at the hands of his brothers, he's always got a good attitude. Like you never see him complaining or being upset or anything like that, right? But that's not why he's mentioned as a hero of the faith. When he's sold into slavery, he... uh, he turns this situation into good. Somehow it says that he actually prospered in everything that he did. So you've got this picture of a guy who's just has this relationship with Holy Spirit somehow, and he's just able, everything he does works, and people recognize it. Potiphar, the captain of Pharaoh's guard, takes Joseph in as a slave, and he's like, wow, everything this guy does, it's just blessed. So he puts Joseph in charge of all of his stuff. And then, as we heard earlier, Potiphar's wife, she's, she's a bit crazy. She's just like, man, I got to sleep with this guy or whatever. So she's chasing him around, and, and Joseph's like, nope, I have too much integrity for that. I know I could probably get away with it, but I'm not even going to try. And, uh, and he runs. She, she kind of corners him in one moment, and he, she grabs hold of his cloak, and he takes off, and he runs. And uh, she uses that as a piece of false evidence, takes it to her husband, and says, hey, you tried to rape me. And uh, for some reason, he, he believed her, and I guess he was his wife, so it probably makes sense. Eh? But, so Joseph ends up in jail for something that he didn't do. While he's in jail, he's, he's doing all the charismatic stuff. He's, he's doing the gifts of the Spirit. He's interpreting dreams. He's, uh, and accurately, he's, he's, he's getting other people are, pro, are prospering and, and being restored in life because of the things that he's, he's speaking over them and interpreting their dreams. He gets forgotten. He gets left to rot in jail. And uh, he, he's just excellent. There's just something excellent about his character, right? That's a pretty eventful life right there. But that's not why he's mentioned as a hero of the faith. Two years later, after the cupbearer gets out of jail, and Pharaoh has a dream, and and he remembers Joseph, and he says, oh, stink, I'm sorry, I forgot that guy. But I actually do know a guy who can interpret your dream. So Joseph comes out of the prison, interprets the Pharaoh's dream, and Pharaoh's so impressed by what he hears and what he sees in Joseph that that he follows his advice and, and ends up exalting him to the second place in the whole of the kingdom. 
So you've got this guy who's gone from being rejected, hated, despised, left for dead, sold into slavery, who's now second in command over Egypt, over perhaps the known world. Like the guy's just really, really done well for himself by the blessing of God on his life. Now, while he's, he's in this position, he, he ends up making Pharaoh really, really rich. The Egyptians, they survive the famine that's come, and uh, Pharaoh ends up owning all the money in the region. He ends up owning all the cattle in the region. He ends up actually enslaving the whole of the people of Egypt to Pharaoh, which is kind of ironic, right? Joseph's descendants would become slaves, but Joseph started the whole slavery thing by enslaving the Egypts, the Egyptians. But anyways, all this... Joseph basically starts from nothing and ends up at the second command. And when he's there, he actually turns Egypt into this ridiculously powerful totalitarian state. Even that, for better or worse, isn't why he's recognized as a hero of the faith. Do you remember when his brothers came to him and they were a little bit afraid? They're like, uh-oh, what's going on? He's going to be really mad and he's powerful. What's he going to do to us? And he says, you know what? What you guys meant for, for harm... God meant it for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save lives. He understood that what God had done in his life had saved many, many people's lives. Ridiculous position to be in. Ridiculously good legacy to have. Really good thing to be said about you. You know, I'll hopefully one day I save a lot of lives if it ever comes to it. That wouldn't be bad. He saved lots of people's lives. Now, another thing in here, too, is I just found it really interesting, is, is he says God intended it for good. I don't know, right? Oh, I'll just leave you with that. I don't know. I don't know if God takes you through these kinds of things on purpose. Uh, I don't know. See, I think God makes all things work together for good. But I don't think he makes all things happen. Right, so sometimes in the in the Joseph story, there's this um, there's this theme that God God had to throw him, had orchestrated getting him thrown in prison, orchestrated all these horrible events in order to develop his character. But through a New Testament lens, I'd ask you, how do you develop character? It's the Holy Spirit. How do you develop? How do you manifest the character and the nature of Jesus? Is it going through trials and tribulations and all these kind of stuff? Or is it abiding in Christ and, and, and the Holy Spirit producing, revealing in and through you? That, that's the answer, right? So, so sometimes life happens. Sometimes there's good stuff. Sometimes there's bad stuff. I don't understand all the events in my life, good or bad. I believe that God's at work in them, no matter what. Even the things that I hate, even the things that I wish would change, even the really difficult stuff. But I'm, I'm not quite prepared like Joseph on the other side of the cross, on the other side of the revelation of Jesus. I'm not quite prepared to say God intended that for me. But I am prepared to say he's intended good for me. And by his power, he's at work bringing out good, even though it's ugly. See, I, I, sometimes when you're in something, you want to kind of get comfort by making meaning out of it. Which, you know what? Evil, bad stuff... It's completely and entirely irrational. It doesn't make sense. It's evil. Bad things are bad things. Sometimes you just have to say, I don't know. I really don't. But I do know this. My Redeemer lives. And he's bringing good out of it. So I don't know if I can go there with Joseph. But anyways, he's got this legacy where he's like, I saved tons of people's lives. Should get him a mention, right? But even that isn't why he's mentioned as a hero of the faith. So I'm going to show you why he is, and hopefully 
you've you've done this journey with me and you're you're kind of like please tell me oh my goodness and you're just emotionally just yes i need to know here it is <laughs> it was by faith that joseph when he was about to die he said confidently that the people of israel would leave egypt think about that think about all the stuff that he did think about the ridiculous things that went on in this guy's life he saved a country he saved a region he saved tons of people from dying. He's gone through this journey of, of, of being a nothing and a nobody to second in command. He's done all this stuff. There's 13 chapters in the Bible that speak to this one man's life. When you look at the details of his life, and if you're in groups, which you should be, the discussion questions this week, there's about 18 different similarities you'll see on the interesting facts where Joseph and Jesus, their lives kind of line up. So really, really interesting guy. But even all of that, that's not why he's a hero of the faith. It's because he said, you guys are going to leave. Crazy. And then he says, you know what? You're going to take my bones with you. And you're just left scratching your head. Like, what? I mean, I, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, if I'm, the whole, if, I, if I'm Joseph, and I'm in heaven, and Holy Spirit, I'm watching him inspire these writers, I'd be kind of like, come on, Lord. Like, say something nicer about me. D didn't I do this cool stuff? Like, like, put me in the book. Put me in that chapter. But come on, let's talk about how I saved people. Let's talk about how I made Pharaoh rich. Let's talk about how I, how I was obedient, how I followed the direction of your Holy Spirit, how I accurately interpreted dreams. Let's talk about that stuff. And Holy Spirit's like, no. Do you know what you're going to be remembered for? You asked some people to take your bones. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of a head scratcher in a way. But I want to propose this to you. I think here, I think that in his confident declaration that the people of God, the, the Israelites, were going to leave Egypt, I think he's pointing ahead and he's declaring an exodus. And in pointing ahead and declaring an exodus, he, he's seeing a future deliverance of the people of God. He, and, and in a deliverance, he's seeing a deliverer. He's pointing to Jesus. He's pointing to the fact that in the future, someone's going to come and something is going to happen that's going to bring you into your destiny and see you flourish and prosper as the people of God. So I'm pointing ahead, and he's pointing ahead to something that people wouldn't have understood at the time. People in his life wouldn't have got it. Probably the people who even exodus, exited out of Egypt with the exodus, probably they didn't get it either. But he's pointing ahead. And that's why Holy Spirit memorializes this guy's life. That's what Holy Spirit says this guy's life contribution is all about. See, later biblical writers would equate the journey that the Israelites made out of Egypt to the journey that Jesus won for us, or the victory and the deliverance that Jesus won for us over Satan, over sin. A deliverance that through our baptism into Christ, prefigured and pictured by the Israelites leaving Egypt through the parted waters of the Red Sea, that, that, that deliverance, that, that's what they saw, and they equated that to the deliverance that we have in Jesus in our baptism with him, in our union with him. But instead of us coming to a promised land, we're coming to this beautiful place called in Christ, right? So it's a deliverance not affected by the law. It's a deliverance not affected by Moses. It's a deliverance in our life that's not affected by principles or anything like that. It's a deliverance that, that's brought about by grace and truth. See, Joseph, the Holy Spirit's really, really, really strongly emphasizing here by what he's not emphasizing in Hebrews, Joseph pointed ahead. Joseph pointed to Jesus. And for me, that's absolutely amazing because his life is so ridiculously interesting. There's so many things that he could have put in there. 
So then I thought, why, why Joseph pointing ahead? What does that tell us about Jesus? Where, where do we see here? What, what can we glean out of that little phrase in, in, in Hebrews chapter 11? He said, you're going to leave Egypt. So I think this, just a couple observations. I think the fact that Joseph's life is so full of life lessons, so full of good principles, so full of inspiration, the, the fact that it's pointing ahead, pointing ahead to an exodus, pointing ahead to something that prefigures Jesus that gets him the honorable mention in Hebrews, I think that speaks volumes. And I think it shows us the supremacy of Jesus. I think it shows us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's our source. He's our source for life. He's our source for destiny. He's our source for purpose. All these things that Joseph's life that you can look at and understand and realize and, and life principles and, and inspiration that you can draw out of his life, Holy Spirit's like, that's all great, but he pointed to Jesus. See, Jesus really is a superior way of life. So I've got these verses here from Colossians, which I, I really like. Colossians chapter 2. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of man, according to the basic principles of the world, not according to Christ, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And it goes on to say, you're complete in him. So we can read the Bible, we can look at these characters, we can draw inspiration, we can draw life lessons, but at the end of the day, it's Jesus. It's not the lessons, it's not the principles, it's not the example, it's not the inspiration, it's not the God wants you to look at Joseph and see all the good things that he did so then you can copy them. No, Holy Spirit, with Joseph we actually get the cheat sheet. Holy Spirit actually draws our attention to what's special about Joseph in the book of Hebrews. He pointed ahead. Colossians 2.20, therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of this world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourself to regulations? See, it's actually bizarre to try and wrestle principles out of Joseph's life because Joseph succeeded through his relationship with God. He's getting revelation. He's, getting, he's interpreting dreams. God's speaking to him and helping him to be blessed. And that's kind of a picture of us. We don't, we're not bound by the principles of this world. We're not bound by the moralisms and the lessons that we can draw out of the scriptures. See, the scriptures are supposed to get you out of yourself and get your thinking out of those kind of ways of doing life and bring you into a living relationship with Jesus, where Holy Spirit breathes into your life. He speaks to you. He communicates and shows you, hey, this is how you can prosper. And it might look totally different than conventional wisdom says, right? So, so today we did an offering. You know, a lot of us give 10% plus of what we, what we earn, what we, what we take in. That's crazy. From a natural, conventional perspective, you know, go, fi go find a financial book out there that tells you to do that. You know, I I'm sure like altruism is kind of built in there in the, the world's psyche, but on the whole, Jesus says give and it'll be given unto you. That's backwards, Right? Now, you're trying to discern what you want to do in your life. And, and somebody said, well, Holy Spirit's going to lead you. Holy Spirit, he made you on purpose. And it's like, what? You have a relationship with an, uh, an invisible person who lives inside of you who told you to do what? <laughs> Sounds bizarre. Sounds really crazy, right? It's the smartest, sanest thing in the world, right? To be led by the creator of all things, the one who knows you better than anything else, right? So we're not bound by the principles of the world, and we don't want to reduce the characters that we see in the Bible to just mere lessons and examples. We want to let their lives be something that, that pushes us out into a real relationship with Jesus, interaction on a daily basis. See, God, God does have a dream for us. He certainly does. 
But you know what? It starts with this place called union with him. See, if I reduce the Joseph story to a how to go from the prison to the palace, and that's all I see and I don't see Jesus, I, mean, I do run the risk of not seeing that actually, you know what? I got a pretty good seat right now. I'm not only in the palace, I'm seated with him. If I dare say, where's he seated? Heavenly places. He's on the throne. He's brought me right into the middle of that whole thing. Crazy, eh? Not to say he doesn't have a purpose for your, your physical life. He absolutely does. But it really does start with seeing the supremacy of Jesus and letting his life, his, you know, there are principles. But the way you live out the principles is you recognize those, those, that principled living, that's an expression of the life of God in me. Right? So principles for success. Same as, you know, stealing. Don't steal. Good principle. Do I live by the law, don't steal, or do I live by the Spirit of God inside of me who has, causes me to love people and make me not want to steal, right? So it's, it's kind of the same thing. It's just kind of making a religion out of success and, and the achieving of your vision rather than uh, getting to heaven, yeah? There's a head shaking, I think, I think making progress somewhere. That's good. Praise God. Number two. Another uh, observation that I drew out of this story was Joseph, Holy Spirit says this is the big deal about Joseph. He pointed ahead. And what he pointed forward to, we look back at. And that's this. It's a very real historical event that was our exodus from bondage to sin, death, the devil, a corrupt nature through our union with him in baptism. Joseph pointed ahead to something real, something tangible, something that actually really happened. He pointed to an event, right? We look back at an event, a very real event. Jesus Christ actually came into the earth. He took on a body. He let that body get nailed to a cross. And in that body, he took all of our sin, all of our sickness. That actually really happened. He was really laid into a tomb and he was really raised up three days later. That actually really happened. See, our Christian life, it's not about hopping from one subjective spiritual experience of salvation and deliverance to the next. It's about realizing that your deliverance, your salvation, your healing, it's actually rooted in a one-time event that really did happen. Joseph looked back to something concrete in history, or he looked ahead. We look back to that same event. He looked to something that prefigured the resurrection of Jesus. We look back at that. And it's real. You were raised from the dead. You were raised up together with Christ. You did, you did die with him. You were crucified with him. Whether you know it, whether you feel it or not, you were raised up together with him. You were. And if life and, and Christianity is this constant pursuit of one experience of deliverance over the next, I'm going to be delivered when I feel God come and do this, that's going to be difficult for you. The reality is it actually already happened. You actually were raised from the dead. That thing that's bugging you, that's plaguing you in your life, that behavior you want to change, that mentality that you have, the, the feeling like something's chasing you, that actually died. It's not in the future what it's going to be dealt with. It was dealt with in the past in a very real instance. And Joseph looks back, or he looks ahead to the event. We look back to the event, but he had it fixed in his mind. There's an event there's a, there's a time, there's something rooted in history where something's going to happen. Do you know that? Right? And the third thing I learned from Joseph's life is, is he saw this event, he saw that it was going to come, and then he said, hey, take my bones with you. In other words, he's like, I'm in. If that's going to happen, yeah, me too, in a good way. 
I'm included. He saw himself in the story. And that's the, the invitation for all of us. That's the invitation as we read the Bible, as we take the Jesus trip, is to see yourself in the story. But it's not to see yourself in the story as in, I'm limited to what Joseph did or had, or, or I can only do what he did, and I can only follow his example. No, it's to see yourself in the story of Jesus. Somebody once said history, it's his story, right? So the trick is to see Jesus in these lives, see uh, the pointing to Jesus, get out past the character, get out past the laws, get out past the regulations, the principles, get to the person of Jesus and see yourself in the story. So there's a couple, just two, I think, lessons that really spoke out to me here. Uh, lessons about destiny from Joseph, and that's this. The revelation of Jesus will bring alignment to you in your destiny more so than any other life principle. So when you read the Bible, it, it, it's not just a case we want to read the Bible right, because we want to be a people who, who do good, solid theology and think properly. No, this is God's plan for building his purpose in your life. God's plan is through the revealing of Jesus Christ in you and to you. If you start, start drifting away from him and you get into all this other stuff, well, it's going to be frustrating. It really is. Jesus brought alignment to the guys on the road to Emmaus through the revealing of Jesus, and that's still what he does to us today. He reveals Jesus to us. And then I, I saw this. I, I think that like Joseph and, and how Holy Spirit signified the specialness and the uniqueness of his contribution to human history, like, like Joseph, let our vision of Jesus and our place in his story, let that be what defines us. So like Joseph, we want to say, I see that, I saw that, and I see myself in that picture. You know, we want to say, I see the exodus, I see the cross, I see that he took on my sin, I see that he took it all, I see that he took the curse, he took my pain, he took it all. I see that he was raised up, and he raised up, and he brought a whole new humanity to life. And I see myself in that, right? See yourself, let yourself, the vision of you and him and his story be what defines you and let that be what shapes your legacy. According to Holy Spirit, that's what Joseph's life was all about. He reduced it to two sentences. You're gonna leave, bring me with you, right? Okay, let's stand up. In, uh, in the book of Exodus, we're going to read this. We're going to get there eventually, but there's this story where um, the snakes, uh, so the Israelites did something, and snakes are released against them, and they, and they start biting them, and they start dying. And I think God says to Moses, put a, put a pole up, erect something, put a, the snake on it, and whoever looks is going to live. If you've been snake bit, just look, and you're going to live. And I think that's another beautiful thing about Joseph. He looks and he sees something. He sees himself in the story. And he gets to participate in it. And I think that's true for us too. Jesus said, you know, as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so the Son of Man's going to get lifted up. Not so much so that anybody who, uh, you know, follows him and never looks back, makes a lifelong commitment and doesn't ever struggle with it, but whoever looks to him, Whoever just sees him, whoever can identify themselves in that story, they're going to be saved. They're going to be healed. They're going to be delivered. So that's the, the invitation for us all today. And I just want to offer this chance. If there's anybody here today who's never for the first time said, I see myself in the story of Jesus. I see that he died on the cross for me. I see that he was raised from the dead. I see that through his resurrection, there's new life for me. 
There's new power for me. If you can identify with that today, maybe for the first time, I want to invite you just to put up your hand at the count of three and ask everybody else if you can bow your heads, close your eyes, let people have a moment. So if that's you here today and you've never, you've never done that before, you've never been like, oh my goodness, yeah, something, something's happening in my heart right now. I, I see Jesus and I see myself in him. I'm just going to ask you at the count of three to raise your hand. Ready? One, two, three. get the people who are going to pray at the altar this morning to come forward. I just want to pray for everyone. Alrighty, let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you love us, that your love is ridiculous. It it's relentlessly pursues us. I thank you, Lord, that like those people on that road to Emmaus, they might have been going the wrong way. They might not have known it, but you caught up to them. And through the revealing of your son, you brought alignment to their lives. And I ask that, Father. I ask that each one of us would be able to see Jesus Christ clearly and thoroughly, deeply at the core of who we are. May we see him in our readings. May we see him on the Jesus trip. May we see him in our lives. May the foundational stones of the revelation of Jesus Christ in each of our lives be that thing that we hope for you to build our lives upon. The revealing of Jesus to us. Thank you, Father, for your word. I thank you that you, you confirm your word with signs, wonders, and miracles. And I ask that right now, Father, you would bless us all, that, that your spirit would move, touch, and minister to everybody and what they need. Today and this week, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The altars are open. If you have anything that you'd like prayer for, come on forward.